0: welcome. We continue our series in the Torah, which is, in fact, the Bible that Jesus read and studied as he was growing up. And I hope that you will uh, be here as often as you can for this series because I think it's pivotal and I think it's really foundational to our faith. Uh, This is the Bible. That Jesus would have studied, he would have read. And as you'll see as we look at Scripture today, it also is Scripture that later on the New Testament writers will not only reference but say that Jesus was in fulfillment of many of the Scriptures. We started the first three weeks and we were in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created and we've spent three weeks in Genesis but now uh, we are in the book of Exodus and uh, soon we'll be in the book of Leviticus. Matter of fact, Exodus and Leviticus are tied very strongly together, and you'll notice a lot of overlap. But in Genesis three, matter of fact, there is a there's a very important passage in Genesis chapter three, beginning with the third verse in uh, chapter three. Matter of fact, we'll put it on the screen for you right now, and it kind of helps us understand a little bit of what's going on and when we see this emblem of the fire, uh, how that's all transmitting. And, and if you have your Bible in Exodus uh, chapter 3, uh, go ahead and turn there. And uh, this is a great passage to be aware of. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. Of course, this represents the burning bush of which God speaks to Moses. He reveals himself. And the b- verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he says his name twice. Uh, This is always important in the Hebrew writings. When you see a name called twice, there is special emphasis put here. He says, Moses, Moses. He said, I am here, Moses responding to him. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, anything that was sacred in that day and time, if you felt like something was sacred, if you were going to a sacred place or a place of worship, anything of which you gave high, uh, basically sacredness, anything that was considered special or holy, you would take your shoes off. And so God lets Moses know this right up front. You are in a holy place. This is a sacred spot. This is a special time. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, let's remember who, what happened. Remember that Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12, receives the initial promise, the initial covenant from God. Abraham has actually several children, but the promise, uh, matter of fact, just a little bit of trivia here, uh, who is Abraham's first son? Does anybody remember? Ishmael. Very good. Ishmael. His second son is uh, right here is Isaac. Uh, And then for those of you who are scholars, I would challenge you to find out how many more children he had uh, because he only had those two right there initially. But then Sarah dies. And after Sarah dies, he marries someone named Keturah, a woman named Keturah, whom he has multiple children. But the promise is coming through Isaac. Remember, Isaac is his second born son. But if you were here with Dr. Smith, Remember how he changes hands. God often does that. We think, okay, it's going to be the eldest son. And in uh, the way that, that the culture worked in that time, the first son always got the primary share of the inheritance. But God changes that over and over and over again. Thus, we see here that Isaac receives the promise. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, Jacob the next son. And so Jacob's name is changed to what? Israel. in Israel is uh, how we know the people today, okay? Now, Israel is really, uh, in that time, uh, be- eventually becomes uh, 12 tribes, so to speak, okay? And the 12 sons, s- sort of the s- 12 sons of Jacob. It's a little bit confusing because Joseph has two sons whom they're named after, but that's another Bible lesson. Those of you who are tracking with me, thank you very much. Uh, if you're just nodding your head to be nice, thank you very much as well. But that's what we're talking about. So Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, 12 tribes are formed, and then it really begins to explode. Uh, And they're in Egypt all this time. They're not supposed to have stayed in Egypt. They're supposed to be in Canaan, the promised land. But this is where they are. And now Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So the people are in bondage. Uh, the Israelites, if we'll call them that, they were really called the Hebrews at that time. But the Israelites were, were in bondage. <clears throat> and so we continue here into verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses said, who am I supposed to tell them has called me to do this? Who am I supposed to call, tell them to, has called me to deliver them? He says, well, I'm the God of your, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. But then he reveals his name, I am, which is hard in our English vernacular to understand. But basically, I am all that there is. I am everything. I am the great I am. Say this to the people, I am has sent you to me. Okay, and matter of fact, we sing that song sometimes, The Great I Am. When you're singing that song, The Great I Am, you're talking about the great God of the universe, the one, the only, the consuming, the creator. He is all, He is everything. He is the God of the world. And so that's kind of a little background we have there that Moses has the encounter. And then. We see the, the, from the burning bush, we see later on in the New Testament, there are a few scriptures. As a matter of fact, I want to give those to you uh, that Jesus will make reference to as he talks about the burning bush and as he talks about Moses. And uh, Mark 12, 26 is the first one. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the books of Moses? By the way, this is Jesus. And you're asking the question why are we studying the book of Exodus today? As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, speaking about Exodus, in the passage about the bush, the burning bush that we just read about, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now let's go to the gospel of John. We'll go to another reference here. John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Why should we be studying the book of Exodus? For if you believe Moses... You would believe me, Jesus speaking here, for he wrote of who? Of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in my word? you hear what Jesus is saying right there? He's saying, look, if you don't believe the writings, if you don't believe his writings, speaking about these are the writings of God, the writings of Moses, God has inspired Moses, that if you don't believe his writings then how will you believe in my words? I am a fulfillment of the words. Here's the best way to understand it. I've, I've kind of used this illustration before, uh, but if you were like me when you were uh, in elementary school, shoot, even in, in, junior, high, um, and er, even in junior high and early, early high school, I used something called a typewriter to write papers. I don't know. If you're under 40, you might not remember that, but there was something called a typewriter. A matter of fact, well, I remember uh, being in seventh grade, and uh, they had electric typewriters, but for some reason, my family didn't own one. We had one of the old ones there. And when you made a mistake, I mean, it was, it was kind of a mess. I mean, you had to get this liquid paper, or you got this little, this little uh, liquid out, and you put it on there, or you put the sheet, and it was just, it was just harder. And, and I made a lot of mistakes, and I just remember thinking, this is such a beatdown. So when I was in ninth grade, I took typing. And they had electric typewriters, and I thought that was so awesome. Electric typewriters. And uh, I thought, man, we've just evolved so far. This is just so incredible to have an electric typewriter. And so it wasn't until I got to college uh, that I ever used a, a, a computer. And, um, and I didn't own a computer. Well, I'm, I'm telling more than you need to know right now. But nevertheless, with that said, when I think about typewriters, you know, I, I am thankful because now I use a computer. And it has a word processor, and it's so much easier. And I'll type things, and I don't even try to spell things correctly because I know they're going to spell it correctly for me. You know what I mean? And it's just all taken care of. Well, that's kind of a picture of the old covenant. The typewriter it was necessity. We still use the same basic keyboard. You still need to learn how to type. And I'm so thankful for the typewriter because if it wasn't for the typewriter, we wouldn't have the computer and the word processor that we have now. But we still use the very basics of it okay? So that's kind of a picture of the old Testament covenant. We still use the basic covenant, but it's been greatly fulfilled. And our mistakes have been covered by the blood of Christ. We have a new word processor that's better than anything the word could ever come in, that covers all of our sins. But it's still important that we understand where the foundation of our faith came from. I want to give you one more passage of scripture here we'll look at, one more Section here from John. Um, and I, I love this because all of you know, or most all of you know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So most of us learn that as kids. But the two verses right before that are this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Moses lifted up a serpent after the people had been disobedient. Snakes had bitten them. They were dying. They had to go and look at the serpent, which I believe was a representative of their sin. They had to go and look upon their sin. Now, who in the New Testament becomes our sin? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God. And now we have to look to the cross where Jesus suffered and died and bled and covered, there's that word again, covers our sins, atones for our sins. So you might be sitting there today and you might be thinking, "So, but how does the exodus affect me today? I understand biblically what you're saying, but how does that affect me today? How does that affect my life today? Well, principles in exodus for Christian life today, no one is exempt from the wilderness. We see the people of God in, in the wilderness, uh, going through the wilderness. And the truth be told, every one of us will encounter w- the wilderness sometime in our life if you're not in it right now. At times, you will stand alone. You'll stand alone in the wilderness or you'll stand alone for what righteous sake is. You'll be asked to stand alone sometime. Number three, uh, We um, receiving the promises of God requires obedience on your part. Receiving the promises of God requires obedience upon your part. And by the way, this is all in our U version notes. If you have that app, I encourage you to get that. There's a reward at the end for those who are faithful and trust Christ. We can get accustomed to our blessings that we complain that we get so accustomed to them that we begin to complain about them. Remember how the children of God were given. Manna to eat, and pretty soon they started complaining about it. Manna, what are you having for dinner tonight? Manna, manna this, manna that, manna this, manna. And soon they were complaining about this divine blessing that was feeding and nourishing them. We must learn from our mistakes. It's not that we won't make mistakes. It's not that we won't sin, but are we learning and gleaning from these mistakes? Remember the good things God has done in your life. And give thanks for them, and step out in faith when God calls you to. Those are all great lessons that the book of Exodus teaches us. Now, I want to real briefly go through an outline, and then I want to show you a video that I think just really does a great job of capturing Exodus and helping us to understand. The book of Exodus. So I just want to briefly go through this outline. Uh, These are notes that directly correlate with the video that you will see here in just a moment. Uh, But God remains faithful to his promises to Abraham and the family, and it grows and suffers from slavery in Egypt. We talked about that earlier. The tribes of Jacob, we mentioned this earlier, uh, grow as a result of God's blessings. God responds to Israel's cry. Because of his promise to Abraham. This is just a brief outline of the book itself. C, God called Moses through a burning bush at Mount Horeb to deliver his people. And by the way, this is the same spot Mo- Moses will come back to, all right, um, with the people of God. But he delivers his people and sends them in the name of I am. We mentioned that a while ago from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And the God of Abraham who will fulfill the promise made to the Israelites. All right, number two, Pharaoh emerges as a type of evil Satan. We talked about typologies and foreshadowing. We'll mention that just in a, in a moment again. Is against God and oppresses the Hebrews. Pharaoh's oppression of Israel is a political policy of economic exploitation, and ethnic cleansing. What do I mean by that? Well, he exploits them. They're a foreign people. They begin to grow. and matter of fact, the Bible lets us know there's a new dynasty. There's a new group that takes over in Egypt politically. And they begin to rule. And they see the Hebrews. They see the Israelites, as we call them today. And they begin to think they're multiplying too fast. And they're not from here. We need labor. So they basically force them into slavery. And they begin to exploit them. He continues. And then the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says release my people but because of the hardness of his heart he doesn't do it we continue Uh, and through Moses though Moses repeatedly gives Pharaoh the chance to humble himself and release the Hebrews Pharaoh chooses not to do this multiple times Pharaoh hardens his heart part of the time the Bible says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart I don't want to get stuck there but people get stuck there all the time what does it mean that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh well we see both And in the Semitic writing, in the Hebrew writing, what what I believe is occurring there is you're seeing a full responsibility. Yes, is God ultimately the responsible party for all of life? Yes. Are we responsible for our choices? Yes. Now, what do I mean by that? And you've heard me use this illustration before. A few years ago, I bought my son a bike. And guess what? I knew when I bought him that bike that he was going to have an accident. I knew he was going to have a wreck. He's had multiple wrecks. A couple times, he hurt himself. And, um, and I did. I bought him that bike knowing that he was going to have an accident, and he did. Okay? So who is responsible? Well, I guess I'm responsible because I got him the bike. So would the, would the proper thing be never buy your kids a bike, a car, or anything that moves? you could do that. You could say, you can make yourself, you can make some kind of morbid case for yourself that I'm a great parent because I never buy my kids anything that they could possibly get hurt with. I never buy them balls. I never buy them guns. I never, I'm I'm talking about dark guns. I never buy them anything of this nature (laughs) because I don't want them to get hurt. I would say that's not great parenting. Okay. That's a little excessive. So is God ultimately responsible I guess you could say he is, but Pharaoh is making the choices given the scenario he has. Does God know what he's going to do? Absolutely he does. Is um, Pharaoh still morally responsible? Absolutely. And I think that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to communicate. Okay, we continue here. And then the third thing, we see the ten plagues demonstrate God's power over all creation in contrast to the feeble gods of Egypt. If you want to go back a couple of years ago, I actually preached on the, all this, uh, the gods each one of these plagues represent a different god of the Egyptians. So you see, a, you see God coming against the false gods of Egypt in his victory over them. We continue. You see the rest of the plagues. Uh, let's go on to number four, and uh, we'll continue here, just ripping right through this. The Passover festival accomplishes the Hebrews' redemption through the offering of a sacrifice, sacrificial substitute, the spotless lamb, uh, and we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. Jesus used the Passover meal as a way of explaining his impending death to his followers. The image of Jesus as the Passover lamb is used elsewhere in the New Testament. We see that, that metaphor used as well for Christ. Uh, continuing, uh, the Hebrew celebration of God's power and justice in the first worship song in the Bible which looks back to the Exodus and forward to the Hebrews' entry into the promised land. So if you go to Exodus 15, you'll see it's the first time we see the usage of salvation. Uh, We also see this, it's the first worship song that we have recorded in Scripture. So, all right, we're going to finish right there. And I want to go ahead and I want to show you this video now. And uh, this is from the Bible Project. If you want to show it, I've already shown it to my children. Uh, We also have these, if you would like one that kind of give you a physical reminder. If you want to come get one after the service, you're welcome to do that. But it kind of shows you the first half of Exodus in print. So if you would, turn your attention to the screen at this time. All right, I hope that helps you put part of that together in your mind. Now, we've talked about why it's important foundationally, Uh, For us to understand the book of Exodus and to be uh, familiar with the book of Exodus. We talked about practically what it means for us today, lessons that we can glean. Uh, Now I want us to talk about the gospel. How does this connect to the gospel? And how does this, as it talks about in Mark chapter 12, how does it foretell of what is to come? We've used these two terms before, and I want to kind of combine them together: typology and foreshadowing, and I want to give you a definition with one sentence. Typology foreshadowing, the image of what is yet to be fulfilled. The typology is the image itself, the image of Christ. It's a pale image, so to speak. It's a shadow image of Christ and then what is to come, what is yet to be fulfilled. So typology foreshadowing, the typology is the image, the foreshadowing is that of what is yet to be fulfilled. Okay, with that understanding, I want us to look now and we're going to see how uh, Moses is a type of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of what the new covenant, uh, the anticipation of the new covenant, will fulfill. N- the typewriter versus uh, the computer. Okay, so we're going to look at the typewriter, but it is a picture. It is pointing toward the ultimate exodus. It is pointing toward the ultimate Savior, Christ Jesus. So, uh, if you We'll put your thinking caps on, and again, we have this on you version, uh, but I think this, this is very important, and I think it's very impressive as you look and you see uh, these typologies and the foreshadowing of Moses and of Exodus to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts off that both have a long period of waiting. Matter of fact, both of them have approximately 400 years from the time of the last promise, which ended in Malachi, till... Matthew chapter 1, until you see the gospel transpiring here, there is about a, almost a 400-year year period of silence. That's exactly what's happened since uh, Abraham and Jacob have received, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have received this promise. Now you're almost 400 years into Egypt before they're delivered by Moses. Secondly, we see this. We see, a, uh, we see the king decrees that all male infants should be killed. And what happens in Matthew chapter two? King Herod comes and says, "All male infants in Bethlehem should be killed." And you noticed you start, and again, <clears throat> we're talking about hundreds and hundreds, fifteen hundred years before the time of Christ. Then we continue here. We see during this time a child was born who would deliver his people. Matthew chapter two: a child is born who will deliver. The people of God. Continuing here, Moses hid in Egypt as a child. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is hidden in Egypt because he's given the alarm by an angel. Said, Look, Herod is seeking to kill you. Go to Egypt. That's where he goes. That's where he grows up as a child. Continues. Moses was sentenced to death. And in Luke chapter 23, Jesus. Is sentenced to death. Moses showed compassion to a woman getting water at a well, who eventually becomes his wife. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well whom he shows compassion to. Continue. Moses was the first mediator. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says that Jesus is now our mediator, one who speaks. On behalf of God. That's what Moses was doing. He was he was the prophet, the mediator, the one who spoke and told the people what God said. He was the voice of God. Now Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who mediates on behalf of our lives uh, as believers in Christ before the Father in heaven. Moses fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 will go into the wilderness and fast and pray for 40 days. Moses told the people about the need for a Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. I want you to think about this. It's not just coincidence. Think about the, just the, the remarkable connection that's happening here. And the people would not have seen it. During that time, they wouldn't have understood it. And now it's happening in New Testament time. This is why Yeshua Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. He is fulfilling not only the prophecies, but even the typologies and the foreshadowing. Moses performed miracles. <clears throat> we know Jesus performs many miracles in Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> it tells us, so that you know uh, by the power of the Son of God that these miracles come from God. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus does that. Continuing, Moses had a family who misunderstood him. Jesus' family misunderstands him in Mark chapter 3. Next, we see Moses sent 12 people into the promised land to prepare the people. What does Jesus do in Luke chapter 6? He calls 12 disciples whom he will send out to prepare the hearts of the people and to preach the truth to the people. Moses appointed 70 rulers, and Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 70. Moses, uh, the people picked up stones to stone Moses, and John chapter 8, after Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 58, after they uh, say, you know, uh, you, who are you, and he says, um, I am the great, I'm Abraham. How can you be Abraham's family? Before Abraham was, I am. He uses that term, I am, that was used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And then the Bible said they were so enraged at this point, they pick up stones to stone him. Moses' face shone with glory after being in God's presence. Uh, If you go to Matthew chapter 17, after Jesus has uh, come back from the Mount of Transfiguration, it said, "And Jesus' faith, shone with glory. And you know who, by the way, you know who he's talking with up there? Guess who he's talking to at the Mount of Transfiguration? Elijah and Moses. Continuing, Moses lifted up a serpent, and we quoted this verse earlier, in the wilderness so that the people might be healed. In John 3, 14, we read that earlier. Uh, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent and all the people had to look upon it for their salvation, the Bible comes back in John 3, 14, 15, and 16. Moses' purpose was to deliver his people out of bondage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says that Jesus shall save the people from their sins, from the bondage of their sins. And then next, Moses offered his life for salvation for the people when God said, I'm just going to destroy them. They've been so wicked uh, at Mount Sinai. And he said, no, take my life. What's interesting, in John chapter 10, five times Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Five times Jesus says, I lay down my life. He gives, he's willing to give of his life. And then I think uh, the next right here is an interesting passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 31. If you have that in your Bible, this is a great passage. Um, In Luke chapter 9, verse 31, this again is where Jesus is talking to Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what does he say? Verse 31 who appeared in glory spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now what's so significant about this word right here, the word departure? This is the same Greek word if you went back to the Hebrew that is used if you if you define it back into Hebrew, matter of fact, if you another word you can use for departure here is exodus. So God so Moses Jesus is talking to Moses and he's speaking to him about his exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What's that? That's the cross. That will be his exodus. That's how he will free his people from their sin and from their bondage. That's where salvation will come from. Now, uh, Tim Keller tells a story about Uh, one of his relatives, who he he could never get to wear his seatbelt. And everybody knew, hey, he never wears his seatbelt, and he would just completely blow it off. Not interested in wearing a seatbelt, don't see the need, I'm fine. And then one day, Tim Keller says he got in the car, and um, his cousin was wearing a seatbelt. He goes, "Um, what happened? What are you wearing your seatbelt for? He said, well, I just went to visit a friend who was in a terrible car accident, and he was not wearing his seatbelt. And he went through the windshield of his car, he has hundreds of stitches all over his face. He may lose his vision. Uh, it's gonna, there are going to be multiple surgeries, he said. And I, I saw that, and um, I just realized, wow, I need to be wearing my seatbelt. Now, what happened? Did he get some new information that he'd never heard? Did he not know that you could, if you had an accident, that you could go through the windshield if you weren't wearing your seatbelt? No, he already knew that. But it became real because he associated the facts with reality. All of a sudden, it was real to him, and he couldn't deny the evidence anymore. I hope as you look through this passage scripture that it strengthens your faith as Christians, and that if you are not a believer in Christ, I think you have to admit the, the possibility of that being mere coincidence of that number of foreshadowings and typologies from 1,500 years before is a little more overwhelming than any of us would care to admit. I think we have to look at the facts, and then we have to look and see that there's a God, the same God who revealed himself in the burning bush, the same God who created the world, who communicates to us through his word, is not just by coincidence, but it is the truth. Do you receive that truth today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, I pray for anyone who does not know you as Savior today, that you would draw them by the power of of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know you and to study your word. And Lord, as we study Exodus, as we're reading through the Bible, as we read through this plan, Lord, as we read through this year, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the gospel jump off the paper as we read it and put into our minds or as we listen to it. Lord, let us not only see uh, what Exodus can mean to us today, how it's the foundation of faith, but Lord, let us see Jesus Let us see the gospel and how it's connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how you want it to be real in our lives today. Not just something that we know, but we choose to avoid or we choose to brush off. But Lord, let us remove this mentality that prevents us from placing on the seatbelt of salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would connect to the truth and the realness of your word. In your name I pray. Amen.